0: I think the most important thing to remember is, what is your purpose? Very often I find I'm talking to someone and they've gotten the idea that they need to use a particular type of assessment. I often say to them, so why are you doing this? Who are you doing this with? How long do you have? What decisions are you to make on the basis of this? And not just, I want to administer X assessment, but this is what I want to find out. And that's the most important thing. You're listening to Speaking of Language a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Margaret
1: Malone talks strategy for overcoming the potential disconnect between test users and test developers in language assessment.
2: Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University.
1: And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's Media Development Manager. We are delighted to have Margaret Malone in the studio. Dr. Malone is the director of the Assessment and Evaluation Language Resource Center at Georgetown University, a research professor at Georgetown, and she is also the director of ACTFL's Center for Assessment, Research, and Development.
2: She's on campus as part of our monthly LRC speaker series and gave a talk titled, What do students and instructors need to understand about language assessment and what do language assessment developers and researchers need to know about students and instructors? We are excited to continue our conversation about language assessment literacy with her today. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Margaret. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here. And we are very delighted to have you here. So before we dive into the topic today, can you please share with our listeners a little bit more about your background, your research, what languages do you speak, all those good things?
0: Well, I'm going to start with the languages I've studied. Um, I actually took French in second and third grade with Mrs. Buckley. Uh, Stephen Buckley's mother, and I loved French, but when I was in high school, which was the next opportunity I had to study language, my sister insisted I take Spanish so that we could talk in front of our mother without her understanding. (laughs) Um, And then um, I continued Spanish in college, but um, because both my parents and my sister had studied Latin quite extensively, Hmm. they thought I was barely educated, so I picked up Latin in college, Hmm. and that was when I switched my major to language studies, an interdepartmental major focusing on linguistics. And then when I went to graduate school, I continued studying Spanish, and I picked up French,
2: Indonesian, and Sanskrit. Wow. Man, that's French, Indonesian, and Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. Wow. Do you still get to use any of those languages in your work today?
0: Well, actually, Actville has the ELIRA, which is a Latin test, and so I sometimes get to use my Latin there. Hmm. Um, Uh, French I never became terribly proficient with, but I was in uh, France this summer, Mm -hmm. and it's really astonishing how much... how much takes place between Spanish and French and mm. English, and how I could really yeah. get around town and figure out signs yep. and even eavesdrop on some conversations. Mm. Oh, nice. um, <laughs> nothing, nothing terribly interesting, but enough uh, to really figure out what was going on. Uh-huh. Particularly teenage girls; they have the best <laughs> conversations, um, and I can't understand any of the any of the <laughs> their colloquialisms in English. So I could just kind of breeze over that in French. Mm. So that's a little bit about my language learning background, um, and. My research background, actually, my specialty is oral proficiency assessment. Mm-hmm. And when I was in graduate school, I did not have a departmental fellowship, I had a, a federal fellowship. Hmm for Title VI, then the bilingual education program Mm -hmm. at the U.S. Department of Education. And so I had a small stipend, and then I was allowed to work off campus 20 hours a week. And that was the first year that the Center for Applied Linguistics was funded Mm -hmm. with Georgetown for Mm -hmm. the Federal Language Resource Center. So I went there to work with Charlie Stansfield on assessment. And I thought, well, I guess I'll do this for a year and go back to teaching ESL. Well, that was in 1990. (laughs) (laughs) And so I really became interested in assessment uh, particularly speaking assessment, because it was something that really I had not had a lot of except in a couple of mm. um, really excellent Spanish classes I took in college. And I realized how important it was and how important it is not just to teach speaking and to emphasize it in class, but to assess it so that there's accountability because we think think what we are assessed on is important. How many of us have said in a class, is this going to be on the test, Mm -hmm. right? So that's really how I got into oral proficiency assessment. Um, My other main area of research, I I actually have two right now. One is uh, C tests, which you can come hear more about sometime. Um, But I'm also really interested in language assessment literacy, which is Mm -hmm. what we all understand about language assessment, Mm -hmm. Um, whether you're a test developer or a language instructor or a student or another stakeholder. So that's a little bit about my background and and research. Uh, What have I done? For the past three years, three and a half years, I've been, as you mentioned, the director of the Language uh, Resource Center at Georgetown and a research professor. And I'm also the director of the Center for Assessment Research and Development at Mm -hmm. ACTFL, which is great because working in um, a membership not-for-profit and at a university is a really great uh, way to inform Mm -hmm. both and to provide a lot of uh, synergy between the two not just organizations, but the two missions, which are
2: mm-hmm.
0: not just compatible, but really interrelated.
2: Yep.
0: Uh, before that, I was at the Center for Applied Linguistics for 16 years. Oh. And um, I developed a lot of language tests, mm-hmm. a lot of oral proficiency tests, including the New York State ESL test, the oral version, mm-hmm. uh, tests in Arabic, Spanish, French, Chinese, Korean. Wow couple other languages I've probably forgotten. Um, And that was really exciting. But one of the things I really liked doing was working with language instructors, teachers, Mm -hmm. um, higher education instructors to figure out what they needed to know about assessment, because most of us don't have a good background in in assessment. And then we're faced with how to do it Mm -hmm. in real time. Yep.
1: So you talked about the disconnect between test users and test developers. So how do researchers and test developers approach assessment versus how teachers and students approach it?
0: Well, I would say what we really need to do, is, as you saw in the talk, was to be more on the same page about what the purpose is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really all about the lens you have on. And I can say as a test developer and someone who works with test developers – we do reach out to students and teachers to find Mm -hmm. out what we should be doing. The issue, of course, is time and resources and getting access to those who use the test and finding out what they need. And that's very challenging. Um, One of the best things you can do as a student and as an instructor is when someone reaches out and says, hey, will you participate in this tryout Mm -hmm. of a test? Mm -hmm. Say yes. Give us your feedback. Tell us what you think. Because when you're A test developer, you're always thinking about the final product. Sure. You know, what are you going to get out there? Mm -hmm. But what we really want to know is what are you thinking when you do it? When you see these directions, what do you think you're supposed to do? Mm -hmm. When I asked you how old you were and you said red, what could Mm -hmm. I change Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that you answered it correctly? How did the pictures make you feel? Were they too hokey? Were they too young? Um, These are all things that we can't know because we are not students and teachers.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
0: you can't get inside someone else's head, so you need to let us know what's in your head.
2: Sure. Yeah. Have you seen big differences between different groups of students when you approach test development? Is it a completely different concept or like workflow that you have for K 12 versus higher education versus like adult education?
0: I would say the best thing about the younger kids is that they tell you exactly what they think. There's no filter. (laughs) And it's wonderful because you can really get to the point. Mm -hmm. Um, With older students, sometimes uh, one of the issues is they get stuck on where they're going. They'll say things like, oh, nobody wears headphones like that in a picture. And um, Mm -hmm. they might get stuck on Mm -hmm. something really uh, major. But I really think that what most people want is a test that shows what they can do. Mm -hmm. Painfully, that often means it shows what you can't do. Mm And so what we want to do is design tests that show um, us at our best and what we need to work on. Mm -hmm. So you were asking about the difference between older kids and younger kids. And I was working with um, young kids. I I can't say what what age, but they were um, elementary school. And we were trying out a new test concept. And we asked them a lot of background questions. Mm -hmm. And we said to them, do you ever take tests on the computer? Do you ever? Mm -hmm. No. Do you use a computer at home? No. And um, so we administered this test, and at the end, we asked them some questions, you know, what worked, what didn't work, what was this like? And we said, what was this like? And they said, oh, it's just like using the tablet at home. And we were so narrowly focused (laughs) on computer, we forgot to ask them about tablet. And that's Uh a great example of how everybody get stuck in their own lane. Uh-huh. And these uh-huh. these kids so of course it was the first day of the tryout and so we added is do you use a computer or sure. a tablet yeah. or later a smartphone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for this kind of thing. So that's why it's really important to know your audience. And yeah. also when you're trying when we try out tests we have pre-pilots and then we have another pre-pilot and then we have a pilot and then mm-hmm. we have a field test. And the whole idea is when you get to the final version that you've tried out everything new, you've worked out all the kinks. Mm-hmm. I, like, um, I like to quote McGregor and Kenyon who say, uh, pilot testing is exploratory and field testing is confirmatory.
2: Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. yeah. sure. see
0: you're nodding. The, the, the whole idea of a pilot test is to find out um, if you're doing something new, if uh, you know what's working, uh, what people are thinking. And then when you go to the field test, you're just throwing out what mm-hmm. isn't working well. Mm-hmm.
2: So you said that a lot of your work has focused on um, speaking? Yes. Is there a big difference in test development depending on the skill area? I mean, would you approach as a test development team would you approach um listening, reading, writing different from speaking?
0: Well, you approach all of the skills or if if you're developing integrated tests, how you integrate them differently because they're looking at at different things. They're looking at different pieces of language. Yep. What I like to tell people is um Any test that people say is quick, like a multiple choice test, it's quick to administer and it's quick to score. Mm -hmm. But it's really hard to develop because you Mm -hmm. need to get all those Mm -hmm. items and all of the choices or what we call the uh, distractors and the correct answer right. right, So Mm -hmm. that when it goes through, there aren't two correct answers. Um, So, from that standpoint, very often the final product you see is kind of buried in the back. Mm -hmm. With speaking and writing, it's more performance based. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we put a lot of time and energy into developing just the right prompt so that when we ask a question, you get what you want. But a lot of the effort there also goes into um, readying raters, making sure that they're reliable and that they're producing um, reliable ratings. Uh,
1: So what are some best practices that teachers should keep in mind as they select assessments or develop their own? And where can they find more information about that?
0: In terms of selecting assessments in world languages, the Center for Applied Linguistics has a great resource called the Foreign Language Assessment Directory, www.cal.org F-L-A-D. Mm-hmm. And there's a directory of assessments in languages that you can search for. There's also a tutorial in how to pick an assessment. Mm-hmm. And that's a great re- resource, mm-hmm. especially for world language instructors, where there aren't a lot of yeah. uh, dictated assessments. Yep. And instead, a lot of, you know, unlike ESL, where a lot of the assessments sure. are chosen for you. So that's one best practice. I think the most important thing to remember is what is your purpose? Mm -hmm. Very often I find I'm talking to someone and they've gotten the idea that they need to use a particular type of assessment. And they need to, I often say to them, so why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. Who Mm -hmm. are you doing this with? How long do you have? What decisions are you going to Mm -hmm. make on the basis of this? And not just I want to administer X assessment, but this is what I want to find out. And that's the most important thing. And unfortunately, in the less commonly taught languages, there are fewer assessments. Mm-hmm. And so very often, we get fixated on the assessment that's available sure. and not on what we want to yeah. know. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and this, this reminds me of the use of technology in general, too, right? Oftentimes, people want to try out a new tool because it's cool or it's fancy. And we might not think about what what is the goal that we want to achieve? What's the objective? Why do we – where do we want to get our students? So – we shouldn't put the test before the student. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that made sense to me. <laughs> as long as you didn't say before the put the test before the horse, then I would have been confused.
0: <laughs> well, I think a lot of it is is really thinking about, about the context. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to be uh, a decision you make and how do you convey that to the student. I think what what happens very often is there's a test and there's a purpose. And very often the student doesn't know what that is. Mm. Why am I taking this? Yeah,
2: yeah, that's true. So if we think about the less commonly taught languages where maybe there aren't um, pre-existing assessments available, if teachers are thinking about how to assess what their students can do, what are some suggestions that you have for them if they want to develop their own assessments?
0: So I would say the first thing to think about is what are the stakes Mm -hmm. for classroom-based assessments? Um, you can develop very responsible assessments. If you're thinking about um, high stakes, I would encourage you to work to, to reach out to a professional testing organization so mm-hmm. that you're making sure that any high stakes decisions that are made, such as you know job placement mm-hmm. or um, study abroad or so on, are, are made with an assessment that has a good validity mm-hmm. argument. Um, in terms of a classroom assessment, I think what you really need to do is look at your curriculum, and you should also think. The extent to which students have mastered what you've taught them. Mm-hmm. Back about 10 years ago, uh, when I was at Cal, we were doing some research with the Star Talk program and uh, CASEL, uh, the Center for Advanced Studies in Language at the University of Maryland. And we did a study with 1,000 students hmm. studying Arabic, Chinese, and Hindi. And we administered um, an objective assessment, sort of a teacher checklist, and a student self-assessment. What we found was that with these languages and these kids— The kids were more aligned with the objective assessment than the teachers Mm. because a lot of the teachers felt like I taught it, they learned it Mm -hmm, instead mm -hmm. of. To what extent did they learn it? Yeah, how comfortable yeah. were they with mm-hmm. it? How much had it really been integrated into them themselves? And that's something to think about as a teacher. Just because you taught the, past, the passé composé for a sure. month doesn't mean it sticks. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I think that's how it goes for many right? memories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I actually love the
0: passé composé. I think it's a great tense. I see. I seem to
1: recall really enjoying it, but it's been a long time. I'll, I'll ask you later about when you were in. France this this summer and we can talk about actually that,
0: we, we didn't discuss the passé composé at all no when no. I was in France it's uh. very disappointing <laughs> <laughs>
2: how about those French teenage girls did they talk about the passé composé all the time <laughs> <laughs> on the metro that passé composé they said <laughs> <laughs> highlight of my life <laughs> oh too funny what's the difference between placement testing and performance assessment
0: okay so let's let's actually look at three things. Mm-hmm. Uh, placement testing performance and proficiency and achievement Mm
2: -hmm.
0: okay so for placement you want to see where students belong in the curriculum Mm -hmm. and that's a tricky thing because the students have come from all different Mm -hmm. backgrounds and they're going to a specific program at a specific university so a placement result for cornell might not work for georgetown sure because you have different curricula Mm -hmm. different professors different expectations Really, the purpose of a placement test is to put students in the right bucket so that they don't that they end up in a class where they can succeed Mm -hmm. and also where they don't waste time at a lower level when they could be at a higher level or that they're struggling when they could be at a lower level. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really the purpose of placement testing. Placement testing, people call it uh, low stakes or high stakes. Mm -hmm. I think it's it really depends on the individual. Um, If you want to graduate in four years. Placement testing can be high stakes Mm -hmm. because you don't want to spend an extra year in a language when you could be at a higher level. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one difference. Then we look at achievement testing, which is what you learn in a course. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so that's different from placement testing because you haven't been in the course yet. Sure. And then if you look at performance and proficiency, you need to think of that as something that's Uh, proficiency is something that happens outside the classroom. So you could be a C student in your French class, but you could be hanging out with your friends, Mm -hmm. speaking French. You could go and study abroad and do really well,
2: but you're not doing the work for the class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you for clarifying that. So if any of our teachers and our listeners are interested in Reading up more about assessment, you already referred to Cal as a great resource. Any other places where they can look for additional information about assessment?
0: Sure. Um, if you look at the AELRC, mm-hmm. that's aelrc.georgetown.edu. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
0: we have a lot of resources there. If you look under our resources page, we have an annotated bibliography of resources on oral proficiency assessment. We have um, some new research briefs that we're developing. Mm, nice. Um, so we have two research briefs that have been published. Um, one on the IPIC, which is a, a test of uh, pragmatics that we're working on with our colleagues at the University of Oregon hmm. at their Language Resource Center. And that's up. And then we have one on the seal of biliteracy, which is something we, we haven't talked about, which is a really important topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're currently working on some on the C-test as well. Okay. So those will be up. Another place to look, of course, is on the Actful website. Mm-hmm. Actful has just a myriad of of resources, of course, in addition to our flagship journal, Foreign Language Annals, mm-hmm. we have the Language Educator, yep. which is very readable
1: mm-hmm.
0: and um, I highly recommend. Um, and then, of course, there are a lot of other resources yep. available on the ACTFL website, including uh, some research resources on mm-hmm. uh, the basics of how languages yep. are learned. Great. So,
1: before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share your favorite word in a language you speak or have learned, are learning, want to learn. So... Love to hear it.
0: So this isn't actually a language I learned, uh, but I actually directed development of a lot of tests and resources in mm-hmm. it, which is from Arabic, which is the term Inshallah, which means if the universe is willing, depending on mm-hmm. your uh-huh. religious background. <laughs> and I really like it. Um, my colleague, Catherine Ingold, used to say that the southern equivalent of it is Lord Willen and the creek don't rise. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, Very good. <laughs> and so I like that word because I think that's it's really central to language learning and teaching, yeah. you huh? know, it's it's really, if all the parts come to place, that's when it's yep. successful.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today, Margaret. Thank you. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me at Cornell. Next week, we will speak with Leah Sweet. Dr. Sweet is the Lynch Curatorial Coordinator for Academic Programs at the Herbert F. Johnson Museum of Art on Cornell's campus.
1: We will talk with Leah about how museums can be integrated into language teaching and the current exhibition of contemporary art about the movement of people across the globe. Until then,
2: Auf Wiederhören!
1: The Language
0: Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter.
2: Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz.
1: Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson.
2: Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University.
1: As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University.
2: We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.